Jesus closes his sermon with these encouragements and these warnings. We get this first warning about the world and the dangers of the world and the broad gates. The next warning is the dangers of the church and actual leaders and prophets within the church. The last is this warning to what is happening in, within each one of us. Each section comes with a contrast. We have wide and narrow, good and bad, few and many, rock and sand. The way of Jesus is countercultural. It's contrary to the world. It is the way of a minority. The first warning comes in this picture of a wide or narrow gate or a broad road, as it says. We get the picture of ease and simplicity to go through the wide gate or a broad path. It's quite literally the path of least resistance, but that doesn't necessarily make it the best path. When I think of wide or narrow paths, I obviously think of running. There's a variety of widths of trails, of rockiness, of steepness, and the like. This picture came to mind that I'll show you when thinking about the narrow path. I took this last summer during a race and this path was obvious it was narrow it was beautiful it's clear and even though it is narrow it is clear now i could go anywhere i could wander off this path i could go to the grass i could go anywhere i wanted but i had to be intentional about staying on this path because this path this trail led me to the next aid station where there was going to be food and water no other trail or path could take me there if it was wide and easy, this wouldn't lead to the thing that I needed. This first warning of Jesus is talking about a person who I believe lives with intention and obedience. I don't think that this path is actually talking about a doctrinal correctness. Rather, this is a path of intention and obedience. To follow the narrow path or this narrow gate requires being a person who's obedient to Jesus. To walk the broad road, it is easy. And here Jesus says that it actually leads to destruction. Some patterns of living that are incredibly destructive that come to mind. May it be addiction or violence or racism. We have promiscuity in relationships, pornography, abuse, a lack of commitment in marriages and even in friendships. These are some more obvious choices that lead to destruction, but I believe that this is also a subtle path. C.S. Lewis says that the descent into hell is a slow and gradual one. It's a gentle slope without signposts. While the broad path does lead to destruction, I also believe that it is subtle. Something more subtle like spending our time distracting ourselves, whether that's through social media or Netflix or using money and possessions to give us a sense of worth or value. Many of these things are subtle and seemingly harmless, and on the surface, they might be good and enjoyable, but it's shaping and forming and leading us into something. Ronald Rollheiser, he's a Catholic writer and theologian, he says that we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, and I believe that that is the wide gate and the broad road, one of distraction and subtlety. This wide path is one of freedom and liberty. Think of the phrase that we commonly hear today, you do you. This is a seemingly innocuous phrase, but it creates in us a mindset of freedom and liberty, that each person is free to do whatever they please. 
It reveals our rampant individualism that drastically affects the way that we follow Jesus and the way that we relate to one another. People have ultimate freedom to do as they please, and that shouldn't affect others. My opinions and my beliefs shouldn't infringe on others. The perception is that ultimate freedom and unlimited choice is what we want and what we desire. And I would contend that this is one of the wide gates for us today. However, I believe that this actually leads to an emptiness. It doesn't lead to meaning or belonging. And I would submit to you, it's not the way of Jesus. The times I've found incredible joy and meaning and belonging have come when I've been intentional about choices that I've made. When I've actually actually seemingly restricted or limited myself. This looks like choosing to marry Kate, choosing to live and stay in this neighborhood, choosing to be involved in foster care when there's thousands of other ways that we could pursue justice in our neighborhood and in our city. And as silly as the sound, choosing running. Colorado has limitless activities. We can bike and climb and ski and fish and backpack and all of those things. But after years, running has become an intentional choice. All of these things can be viewed as a restriction. They are limitations on my freedom. Rollheiser also goes on to say that every choice is a renunciation. Every choice is a thousand renunciations. To choose one thing is to turn one's back on many others. To choose a spouse is a renunciation of every other possible relationship. To choose and be committed to a church is to renounce church shopping and finding somewhere else that fits all your preferences. To choose a neighborhood to live in and to be invested in is to renounce a thousand other neighborhoods. We may think this is a bad thing, that it takes away our freedom and it takes away our autonomy. And it's certainly not the normal. This is not the broad gate. This is the narrow gate. But it's the life of intention and service and obedience to Jesus that produces incredible meaning and belonging. And it's found through this narrow gate. The life of following Jesus is one of intention and obedience. And this is the first thing that Jesus is warning us about, about the dangers of the world and what it can do to us. The second is a warning about the dangers that exist, unfortunately, within the church. Watch out for false prophets, a wolf in sheep's clothing. These are leaders in the church that are dangerous, that are harmful and destructive to others. It's no accident that this comes immediately after Jesus warns us about the wide and the narrow gate. For many, false prophets are contradicting Jesus, and they assert that the broad road does not actually lead to destruction. But all roads lead to God. These are teachers that teach things that are contrary to what Jesus is saying here. And I would submit that these are also leaders and teachers that do not practice the very thing that Jesus is teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is why he gives the analogy of a tree and its fruit. False teachers may be able to disguise themselves, but the badness of their fruit will reveal the true state of their heart. If you've spent any period of time in church or pay attention to Christian leaders around the country, it's not long before you find a leader who does not embody the teaching and the practices of Jesus. This whole sermon of Jesus is culminating in him saying, now go out and do these things, practice these things. It's not merely an intellectual endeavor. How many leaders can you think of who are not doing these things that Jesus is commanding, who are not practicing these things. 
Are we as leaders judging others in their lifestyle or doctrinal correctness? Are we as leaders giving to the poor, exhibiting generosity and not succumbing to materialism? Are we as leaders creating anxiety and fear? Are we as leaders in, found in adultery among those of us leading churches and ministries? Jesus is telling us to watch out for false teachers, for those who may know the right thing to say, but are not doing those things and not practicing the teachings of Jesus. They appear innocent and pure, but they're actually dangerous and ferocious. This is the second warning of the dangers of leaders and prophets and teachers within the church. This last warning is about what I believe is happening within us. This warning comes to all people. It's not just to teachers this time. It says many will say, Lord, Lord, but this is merely a confession with their mouth. While Jesus is concluding this sermon, he's demonstrating the importance of action. They say, Lord, Lord, but they did not do the will of the Father. Or whatever does not, and whoever does not put these words into practice, as he goes on to say, we may know all the right things to say, but that does not equate to true discipleship, does not equate to true intention and obedience. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be with him, to learn from him, and to imitate the things that he does, to practice his teaching and his lifestyle. There are plenty of ways that it can appear like we are doing or have it all together. A simple example, but I am not a good skier, but I could throw on some really nice skis, a cool helmet. I could even put on the downhill spandex suit so people would think I'm really fast and I'd ride up the chairlift. I could even talk to the person next to me, talk about the gear, check out these cool ski poles that I have, the TX3000s, they're extra pulley so you can go fast. But the moment that I'd actually have to be on the skis and ski down the mountain, I would betray myself and reveal my inability and ineptitude as a skier. I can look the part, I can talk the part of a skier, but I can't actually ski. It's what we do that reveals who we are. It's not only what we say or what we believe. And this is of extreme importance. And this is why Jesus closes his sermon with this. Jesus is intentionally leading us to this place, revealing the importance and the seriousness of our obedience. He's showing it is absolutely necessary and essential to take these teachings and to put them into practice. He closes by giving us this picture of a house built on a firm foundation. He says, put these things into practice. This is not merely a nice sermon or discourse for us to listen to. No, but those who build their house on the rock are the ones who put these things that we just heard into practice. But if we hear these words and we do not do them, our world will collapse. The house that is built on sand collapses. So to recap a few things that Jesus has said throughout the sermon, what does it look like to put these things into practice? Are we examining the deceitfulness of wealth and materialism? Have we forgiven those who have hurt or harmed us? Are we seeking peace and justice in our relationships with our neighbors and even with our enemies? Are our hearts and mind filled with thoughts of hatred 
or judgment or lust? Are we giving to the poor? Are we generous with our money and possessions and time? Have we shown consideration, done good, returned kindness for a wrong that's been done to us? Have you or I today dismissed an anxious thought for tomorrow? Are we pursuing love and kindness and goodness and treasures that last rather than wealth or status or material goods? Are we free of judgment of others? Are we even free of judgment of ourselves? And this is not an extensive list, but Jesus has gone through all of these things and intends that we put these things into practice, not merely to know them or to say them, but to do them. My hope for you and for us as a church is that we would put these teachings of Jesus into practice, that we wouldn't merely understand them or talk about them, but that we would do them. The call of Jesus is countercultural. It's the narrow gate of obedience, of intention, and of action. In a time when fear and anxiety are high, can we be kind and a peaceful presence to our friends, our family, and our neighbors? In a time when people are losing jobs and money is thin and we fear scarcity, can we be generous? Can we give to those in need? Can our generosity overpower our materialism? Now, as much as ever, our world, our city, our neighborhood needs people who are committed to following the way of Jesus, committed to the things that he has taught in this Sermon on the Mount, and not just to know them and not just to say them, but to do them as well.